Hello and welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And hey, it's been a while. I apologize. We weren't able to get an episode up last week, up and posted anyway. My apologies for that. I had some things going on. Actually, first, I forgot about it. And then by the time I recalled that, other things in my life are going on, so I wasn't able to do that. But we are back this week, and we are back with a great podcast. On the podcast today is my friend, Scott Oakland, who... I'm going to call our favorite Lutheran, at least for the purpose of this podcast. Scott has formerly been the host of the Reform cast and also the Lutheran cast, and it's been a great couple of years getting to know Scott, and so I wanted Scott to come on the podcast to talk about something that I have, I am not Lutheran myself, but the number one thing I've always appreciated about Lutheranism is the idea of absolution, or the idea of, of receiving forgiveness for sins, which is different from the Catholic terminology that you might be familiar with. So I invited Scott to come on the podcast to talk about this idea of absolution. So here we go with our interview with Scott Oakland. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. Nice to be here. Now, how's it feel to be the first Lutheran ever to come on the Basic Bible Podcast? Well, it's a heavy burden, but I'll do my best <laughs> to carry it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I guess Tullian might be the, the first yeah. Lutheran. So, all right. So I take away the title. So now right. all the burden is off. Good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, he would be the he would be the first because he's Lutheran. All right. Well, we are talking about absolution, and it's one of the things that fascinates me about Lutheranism, which I which I think that most other denominations get wrong. So, explain for us what do we mean by absolution? It sounds like a Catholic word, but it's a biblical concept. Well, it is a uh, what many consider to be a, a Roman Catholic word, actually. It is a Catholic small c word in the sense that the Church has always had something like this term and certainly has always had this uh, this concept and this absolution, if you will, this forgiveness of sins, public and private, in place. Uh, it's just that the Church kind of veered away from it, and I guess that's the subject of a different podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, absolution is the forgiveness of sins, and we have, of course, private and public absolution, and we can we can talk about those distinctions. Yeah, so go go ahead and ex- explain those two distinctions. Sure. Well, uh, public absolution um, is really part of, uh, in the Lutheran tradition, our liturgy, which uh, is follow- actually followed or preceded by our, our confession of sins. The pastor will typically read uh, in our liturgy, he'll read to us um, some basic words that that show that uh, we have uh, broken God's law. Um, basically, when we when we're going through a liturgy, we will say something, or the pastor will say, but if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, that is something that we all say together, the pastor leading that. And then after that, we will uh, get into uh, the actual confession, uh, which has a series of words, beginning with most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature, nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Um, and we'll continue with uh, a little bit more. I can read all of it if you want. Is a couple of more sentences. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, good. Just to give the complete picture. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. 
We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And as I want to reiterate, everybody in the congregation uh, will recite this all at once along with the pastor. So then after that, uh, the pastor will typically say, in the mercy of, excuse me, the wrong one, I'm looking at the the wrong one. Uh, Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of, in the, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And typically he will give the sign of the cross as he makes that statement. And that comes out of John 20 verses 19 to 23. So that is the public con- or description of the public confession uh, and absolution um, in a historic liter- uh, Lutheran liturgy and really a historic Christian liturgy, if you want to uh, you know, get more people, general. And some of my listeners right now probably think, wait wait a minute, wait. What what gives the authority of a, of a pastor to forgive someone's sins? And again, that sounds that sounds Roman Catholic. Yeah. That, sounds, that, that doesn't sound like what we believe. Uh, right. <laughs> Well, um, the answer to that question, and I know we'll get into the, the relevant scripture pack, pass, passages, but really in John twenty twenty three, answers that question in a general way. Jesus, uh, as he's appearing to the disciples um, in the previous verses, uh, in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's giving the authority to the apostles um, and subsequently pastors who are ordained uh, to forgive sins um, in Christ's steed. Now, this isn't a a mystical power. It isn't some kind of a uh, substance or some kind of a thing that we can— we can uh, we can say that is um, uh, magical or anything like, nothing like that. It is simply the authority that Jesus has vested in the apostles and subsequently uh, pastors or priests, if you want to use that word, um, the authority to actually stand in Christ's deed and actually forgive uh, the sins of a believer. And I just described, of course, how that's done publicly. There's also private, which we can talk about after. Right, and just to be clear, we're not. You're not saying that, and I think you did a good job saying this. You're not saying that there's there's nothing in the pastor in and of himself that right. gives him the authority to do this. This is something that's based upon scripture, based upon Christ has said. And and I think even without that passage, we can see that when when, when you confess sin, you you referred to First John earlier, First John one nine. If we confess our sins to Christ, He's going to forgive us. So based on the on the authority of Scripture, we can declare sin that has been confessed to be forgiven. Yes, and um, that that is that is exactly right. So it's a matter of uh, whether a person is thinking uh, or actually reading into the Scripture. In the case of some that don't believe in confession and absolution, that is strictly a private thing between me and God, someplace um, spiritually, and we're you know. So I think that's the that's the implication that many read into the text is that um, 
well, no man can actually do this. Well, the scriptures clearly teach that, that yeah, that is possible. Of course, it is true that we can confess uh, in our heart to God uh, and be forgiven, and that's that's unquestionable. But um, you know, the exceptions prove the rule. I mean, the means, the the normal means that Christ uses um, publicly and privately are you know are pretty clear. And I think it's it w- it really robs uh, Christians of comfort when they don't have that available to them. So let's talk about then the private aspect of this. Sure. Well, the private aspect is, and, and again, people come to this conversation typically, and, and so did I, thinking uh, you go into a little confessional b- a box, or the priest hears it. Um, but, you know, Roman Catholic doctrine has a lot of problems, obviously. And one of the problems is that uh, there is no certainty in their, in their absolution. Uh, there's, there's always some catch. There's always some condition that the, that the, the penitent person has to meet in order to be forgiven. Right. And that's not biblical uh, confession and absolution. Um, what we as Lutherans do is we do not force the matter on, on people. If people have a guilty conscience, and this is the purpose of it, if people have a guilty conscience and they need to speak to a human being, and confess their sins to another person. Um, you can call it getting it off your chest, which is sort of a colloquialism. But um, basically, it, it, it serves the purpose of um, giving the individual, once they confess their sins, a clear conscience before God. They go, they confess their sins, uh, the pastor absolves them, and that's the end of it. And it's very simple. It's not complicated. It, it, there's no strings attached. We don't have to uh, worry about how we're feeling about it, whether we're guilty or whether we still feel guilty or not. It's the objective forgiveness of Christ given to us through the pastor. Um, and, you know, typically there's hands laid on the person. Um, you know, that's sort of an adiaphora. But the, the point is that the person... Um, ought to come away with that, knowing that it is gone, there, there is no more sin to deal with. And that's the primary purpose of that is to get rid of our guilt so that we don't carry it. See, too often, I think, without this availability, public and private absolution, Christians will wonder, am I really forgiven? I know I prayed hard in my heart, but what, did I really pray hard enough? That kind of stuff is no good. It's a faith killer. And this is why we uh, we really are adamant about this. And in fact, Luther, in 1522, was challenged about this very thing by Karlstadt. Let me just read this very quickly. He said, uh, this was in 1522, he says, I will allow no man to take private confession away from me, and I would not give it up for all the treasures in the world, since I know what comfort and strength it has given me. No one knows what it can do for him except one who has struggled often and long with the devil. Yea, the devil would have slain me long ago if confession had not sustained me. So he felt strongly about it. Um, the Those that subsequently penned uh, Melanchthon and Luther, uh, the Book of Concord and its symbols uh, really thought strongly about it, and, and we still have it to this day. So it's really, in that sense, uh, and it can be shown historically, very important, and it's an often overlooked uh, topic, I think, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, let's, 
I want to talk more about that in, in a in a few minutes. But let's look at some of the scriptures that uh, we discussed here. And I want to turn to Colossians uh, chapter. Well, let's go to Romans eight one. It really gets at to what you were just talking about. Romans eight one is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. It's liberating. It's freeing. It is just an exciting thing to even just to, just to read out loud. So Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, what uh, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son, the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Um, that's, I, if I'm reading this correctly, this is the essence of what absolution is all about. Well, that's exactly it. And uh, it was because um, Christ paid for all those sins already. Now, he's he, right here, he's making that very clear. There, there is none. Period. Stop. End of sentence. Right. Um, there's no doubt Um Yet, it's very easy to um, forget this and, again, go back to how I'm feeling about my sin or how, you know, we just got to get rid of it. And when, and when we confess it and it's gone, it's gotten rid of. Yeah. And we have to really – it really comes down to belief, to be perfectly truthful with you. If you believe the text, if you believe that you're forgiven and uh, the going through the Christian uh, – uh, confession and absolution is a concrete way of having this be manifested in the life of the Christian. Right. I think as, as conservative Christians, at least in my end, conservative evangelicalism, maybe even reformed uh, folks, that we have a tendency to not necessarily to hold on to that sin, but we want to feel guilty. We want yeah. to feel like, okay, well, I, I'm not worthy of anything, and that's true. But there doesn't seem to be an end to that guilt. I think even some of the Puritans reading through their writings and the sorrow they express, and we should be sorrowful over sin, but at some point, Scripture over and over again talks about the idea, okay, you've been forgiven, now live in light of that. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly it. We uh, Because of the mixing of law and gospel, and, and that causes a lot of problems, and uh, again, Tony Intervision, which you mentioned at the opening, uh, really gets to the core of the, the the distinction between law and gospel. And when we get those wires crossed, law and gospel, that's when we really tend to uh, become confused about uh, the the facts that when you know we are forgiven and that we need to we need to let go. And a proper understanding of law, which is the guilt. That's what brings us to the to to the uh, confessional to begin with. Uh, we have guilt. We're going, especially in reference to private absolution, we're going to the pastor for that absolution, and then he gives us the gospel. There's no need to go back and give the person the law again. They're already sorry for their sin. That's why they're there. Right. Um, and they, they're given the gospel, and then they go on their way. Now, we do this in the divine service because— we know that there's people corporate, corporately in a corporate setting. There's going to be people there that are guilty about yeah. their sin, or they ought to be, um, and that's where the law comes in. The law slays them, 
and then the gospel gives them life again. So it's so important to understand that distinction. That's a whole other podcast to talk about that, but I just wanted to mention that in light of what we're talking about here. In that corporate sense, uh, the church I just came from, we, we did that each week. We read a confession, and there was a form of absolution from the pulpit. And I can remember several times just looking at the folks in the pew across uh, the way, uh, folks around me, and just, I get to say in front of everyone, I'm a sinner. I've I've messed up, I've dropped the ball, I have failed in every way possible, and all of these guys have as well. And to hear from, from the pulpit, by the blood of Christ, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. And that in and of itself brought such joy. I mean, I, I used to long for that part of the service, even more than, the, than the, the sermon or the message, just to hear that phrase, I, I get to ignore, I don't have to hide this. I don't have to put on the show. I don't have to put yep. on uh, the mask in front of every other person and, and just pretend that I'm this great person. Right. I, I, I'm a sinner. They know it. I know it about them. And we get the bass together in in the grace of God in that sea of forgiveness. Well, that's it exactly, uh, because oftentimes the Christian church, uh, whatever denomination it is, it doesn't really make any difference. Um, we forget that the church is a hospital for sinners; that we are all sinners, um, and there is there are no there's no pecking order. So. When we forget that, uh, we start playing games, putting on masks, judging other people, um, and that's one of the biggest problems. Uh, rather than licentiousness, that's a problem in itself, but yeah. uh, the legalism and the issues that you just mentioned are a much, much, much bigger problem, as Tolian has pointed out, in the evangelical church, that any licentiousness you can, you can ever add up. There's no comparison. And so uh, when, you, when you're talking about confession and absolution it gives you a something concrete to hold on to um it's not like you go home and figure it out and open your bible yeah it's not not any of that stuff it's not me and my bible in under a tree it's going right into the divine service it's 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 getting it taken care of right then and there um declared publicly when when we're in a public setting and um and you're on your way um it, it just makes such a difference uh, to the life of the Christian and to their, uh, um, I don't want to say potential, I hate that word. It, it, gives, it gives the Christian hope and it allows them to move forward. That's probably yeah. the best way to put it. Well, Colossians chapter 2, I'll read verse 13. Yeah. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So first we have our, our legal demands have been nullified. They're, they're, they're gone. The, the record of debt against us has been canceled. But he starts off this by saying, God has made us alive together. So there's not just a, there's a forgiveness, there's a canceling of that debt, but now we are truly alive, and now we are truly to live out this faith. So it, it's not just a mournful, I, I'm, I'm always feeling that sense of guilt, I'm always feeling I'm not good enough, I'm always feeling, no, we're, we're alive in Christ now. 
Exactly, and that's where some some of the uh, the Puritans, as you mentioned them, and some of the other uh, theologians of the uh, the 17th century and 18th century kind of misfired because um, a lot of the focus of their writings were on the mournful side. Um, you you don't see as much of well, I'm forgiven, and 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 here is a distinction between law and gospel, and the joyful side of the Christian life. You don't see that so much, so. Uh, oftentimes that's a product, you know, theology has consequences and that's one of the byproducts of it. Uh, but, um, but no, you're right. Uh, the, uh, the scriptures are very clear that the, the legal demands, the law have been met perfectly by Christ's life and death. So we need to, that, that's why any time, um, we have, we look at theology the gospel has to be at the center of it. If it isn't, it, you're just—it's just, it's just uh, you're just spinning your wheels. Everything. Think of it as a wheel, and the gospel is the center. And all the other doctrines are spokes out of that wheel. The center is always the gospel, and and that, uh, you know, when that when you get away from that, and you start having some real problems. Right. Well, let's go to some of those real problems. Are uh, okay. things to avoid here? Dangerous to avoid? And I think we, we've kind of hit on both of them, but. I have here the idea of first just living with guilt, and then I think we try to compensate for that with legalism. The idea that I'm somehow going to—we don't say this consciously—we don't say this consciously, but I'm going to work off that guilt. I'm going to work off that debt somehow by doing all these great things, and somehow I'm going to earn God's favor, and I can feel better about myself, and right. by whatever standard we want to judge that by. That's right. And when you think about it, uh, Kevin, this, the, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, well, you can just ask yourself a question. What difference is Christianity from all other world religions? If you're going to have that mindset, um, just pick another religion because this one isn't making you happy. I mean, right. uh, it, it's really it's frighteningly close when when you think about it that way to a works righteousness, um, which are all present in every other world religion without exception. So, um, yeah, well, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's what the old man wants. The old man always wants to justify themselves. Um, and they'll, they can do it through religious activities. They can do it by their efforts. They can do it by how much devotion time did I spend today? How much prayer time did I spend today? Did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? Is God happy with me? I mean, the list goes on and on. And obviously your interview with Tully and he, he went into that in great detail, I think, but um, it does cause a lot of problems and angst in the Christian when they know, or they're not sure whether they're really forgiven. And that's really key to this whole uh, confession and absolution um, and why it's, why it's so important. Well, then in terms of application, uh, you know, I, I think one, one of the things that's obvious is <laughs> live forgiven. Live like you ha- live in light of God's forgiveness. Don't uh, continue to beat yourself over sin that has been confessed. Now, if you haven't confessed that sin, if you're still living a life of unrepentant sin, that's serious. You should feel guilt over that. You should feel a burden over that. But then give that burden over to Christ. Confess that and, and move on. Well, that's exactly it. And the uh, the life forgiven, um, th- that's great that you have this in here as something to talk about. Because uh, when a Christian is forgiven, 
um, the works that flow from a Christian are not done out of compulsion. They're right. done, they flow from the gospel. They no longer flow from the from the letter of the law. It's no longer a list that I have to follow, yeah. that I have to do this right, I have to do that right. The works will flow naturally and organically from the Christian. And this is something that um, you tell people and they're like, oh, no, well, if, if somebody doesn't get after me, I'm never going to do it. Well, they're thinking about the law and the gospel wrongly when they say that, uh, because the law has uh, three purposes, and I don't want to get into all that, but uh, the the law condemns the person, it drives them to the cross, drives them to the gospel, and then they're forgiven. Then, and only then, um, will they be able to uh, show good works, do good works, uh, which are needed by our neighbor. Um, so... That's a very important byproduct of uh, confession and absolution is uh, the fact that the Christian will be useful to their neighbor, not to God. I'm not trying to make God happy with my devotional life. It's, it's, to, the, it's to my neighbor. My neighbor needs uh, my works. God doesn't need them. My neighbor needs them, and, and that's where they flow from, the, the, the gospel and the forgiveness that uh, uh, that we just talked about in uh, confession and absolution. Well, and again, we we have to look at the if if I am not doing any any good work whatsoever uh, as a Christian uh, without somebody else having to jump in and and threaten me to do it, what does that say about the work of the Holy Spirit? Um, doesn't that mean that if if I can't do anything without being threatened? I don't think that's any evidence that the Holy Spirit is working inside me whatsoever. And that's a bigger problem to deal with. Well, yeah, I, what what ends up happening is, is the person is doing it out of out of a, a sense of obligation, out of a sense yeah. of guilt. Now, sure, the person is still doing the works. You know, the neighbor is still getting getting good work and and that's that's good. But it's it's the wrong emphasis and it's, and right. it's the wrong source. And the person is going to burn out. They're going to get disgusted. They're going to say, I can't keep up with this. I can't, you know, I can't keep doing this anymore. And they walk away. And that's why so many people walk away from the church. It's not so much that uh, they don't like the pastor. It's not so much that they don't like the sermons, although all those things happen. It's because they can't keep up anymore. They, they've been, they've done, 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 and they're done with, with being done. And so, that's you know due to an improper view of law and gospel, and, and it's just like you said, instead of um, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through the Christian, through the gospel, um, they're being manipulated by people yeah. through the threats of the stick of the law, and that doesn't. How is that different from Islam? How is it different? Yeah. Somebody please explain it to me because it's really not that different from any other world religion, and you might as well just join another one, <laughs> truthfully. All right, well, we're going to wrap things up here with our, our final segment here about recommended resources. So, Scott, what, what would you recommend? What sources would you point people to to learn more about this? Well, I think um, uh, I think there's several several books that, uh, that would be a good idea. One uh, would be a Dictionary of Luther and the Lutheran Traditions. Uh, it goes into uh, a lot of theological topics. Uh, we also have uh, the Lutheran Difference, which is really talks about 
Lutheranism. I mean, we're talking about one subject within Lutheranism, but really it's a real centric to- central topic of Lutheranism. So the Lutheran difference will compare, it'll actually show side by side the differences that the Lutherans, how they view the gospel as center versus other denominations. And I can always also direct folks to a an article on private confession and confession and absolution from Faith Capistrano Church in California. And that website is faithcapo.com. And you can just do a search within the website and find uh, the, the article. And it'll help them. It's not a very long article, and that one particular will be of, of good use to them. All right, and we'll put that on our, on our website. I've got a couple of resources here, not necessarily from a Lutheran perspective, and not necessarily dealing with just this topic alone, but books that have helped me think through some of these issues. We mentioned Glorious Ruin by Tully and Chivijan uh, yep. on a previous podcast. That was good. Uh, and a friend of mine last year uh, gave me this is from a Lutheran. Has American Christianity Failed by Brian uh, Wolfmuller? And this yes. has been a, a really good book, not just on this topic, but on so much more, killing that idea of legalism and pietism. So that that's a good book. And then another book that helped me early on in my journey, the Cross-Centered Life, Living the Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney, really kind of breaks down the idea of, of legalism. Well, Scott, thank you for taking the time and joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. All right, and again, all of those resources will be available on our website. We'll have the Amazon links up there very shortly, so you can check those resources out. And again, thank you for all for listening. Join us next week. We'll have another great podcast, assuming I don't forget about it or things don't uh, come up suddenly and unexpectedly, but I'm not expecting that to happen. Of course, you never do. Check out the website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. Check us out on Twitter at Basic Biblecast. Read us on iTunes, please, and share us with your friends. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.